You know, when you open up the book of Genesis, you're introduced to something quite amazing. Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. Notice what the Bible says. And I really believe, by the way, most people who open up the scripture, this is the verse that they're coming across. The very first verse they're coming across. Okay, well, what is it? Let's see what the Bible says right here. In the beginning, God created the what? What is the very first thing you're introduced to when you open up the Bible? Creation. What else? God. By the way, is it seeking to prove God's existence here? Is there some kind of argument or apologetic? This is, this is why God exists. In the Bible, is there ever an argument for God's existence? Why? It's supposed to be the most, the, the plainest fact out there that God exists, right? So in other words, the Bible doesn't simply prove God's existence. It just affirms what reality is. In the beginning, what? God created the heavens and the earth. Now, when you read Genesis chapter 1, you get a good survey of creation, right? You know when you read Genesis chapter 1, it's all ordinary, ordinary narrative, right? When you're reading it. God did this, God created this, God created this. Until you get to something very strange in Genesis 1. Go to verse, Genesis chapter 1, go to verse 26. So when you read Genesis 1, God is creating this, he's creating this, he's creating this, he's creating this. And then all of a sudden, the language becomes a little bit confusing. Notice what it says in verse 26. Are we all there? This is what it says. Then God said, let us make man in our own image according to our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, over all over the earth, and let, over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Verse 27 is so key. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. What is so strange about that verse? Now, before you give me an interpretation, I want you to think about the English language. What is so strange about this verse? If you were an English teacher and you're reading Genesis chapter 1, You'd come across verse 27. Why would it suddenly just like, wait, what? What is so strange about verse 27? Yes. Let me read it again. So it says this, verse 27. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Does that sound like ordinary narrative English? It does not. The rest of Genesis 1 is ordinary narrative English. But when you get to verse 27, it's like really redundant. And here's the reason why. Here's something that Hebrew writers know, that Moses knew, that people who read in the English translation do not know. And that is this. That verse 27 is actually Hebrew poetry. It's something called paradigmatic parallelism. In other words, when Moses was writing out verse 27, God impressed him at that mo moment to write in very poetic language. The rest of the creation of the world is written in ordinary language. You know, it's very interesting. It's so powerful. You would think, why in the world would God describe the creation of man in very emotional language? So male and female, he created them. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. And here's the reason why. Although the creation of the world and all the contents of this world were quite amazing, your creation was something that touched the heart of God. You know, one day I had a friend, one day, who, who went to a guitar shop. 
he went to a guitar shop, and he was trying to buy a guitar, and he sees this beautiful guitar on the wall, and he tells the owner, he's like, how much is that guitar? And the owner's like, it's not for sale. So he then tells the owner, come on, give me a price tag. The owner says, it's not for sale. My friend, as stubborn as I am, said, hey, look, get, just name a price. What is that thing worth? Finally, the owner says, I'm going to tell you a story. And he says this. You see, there was this big old tree in my backyard, and uh, I used to swing on this tree. He said, my father, when he was young, used to swing on the same tree. My grandfather, he was on that same tree. He would swing back and forth. There's a lot of memories associated with that tree. And then he said, one day, lightning struck that tree. And it just destroyed the tree. He said, I took the wood from that tree. And he said, I put it in my garage, my shop. And I began to make this beautiful guitar. And he says, as I began to make this guitar, he says, tears began to come down my eyes. As I thought about all the memories and all the things that were connected to this. I want you to understand something. You don't come from some primordial soup that's been struck by lightning. You are not some crystal. The origin's not found some crystal striking this world or some alien that seeded this planet. You come from the hand of our maker. Amen? You come from the hand of our maker, and that is a powerful thing. Let's continue with this. We need to understand a little bit more. We were created by love. We're going to understand something else. We were created for love, too. Go to Genesis chapter 2. Genesis chapter 2. The Bible talks about the creation of man. It's quite a beautiful thing. The scriptures tell us something powerful. Let's start with verse 7. Let's see what the Bible says right here. Genesis 2, starting with verse 7. And the Lord God formed man out of the what? Dust of the ground, breathed into his nostrils the what? What was the very first breath that mankind took? The first air that went through Adam's lungs were the what? It was the breath of God. Such a powerful thing when you begin to understand that. Let's continue with this. And man became a living being. Verse 8, then the Lord God planted the garden eastward in Eden, and there he put who? The man who he had formed. And out of the ground the Lord God made every tree that is that, that, that to grow that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was also in the midst of the garden, the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Now, the Bible talks about a little bit of the description of Eden. Now go to verse 15. Then the Lord God took man... Put him in the Garden of Eden to tend it and to what? Keep it. Now I want us to understand something. When man was created, where was he placed right after his creation? He was placed in a garden. What was his work in the garden? To do what? Let's read the scripture. Verse 15. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to what? Tender and what? Let me ask you a question. Was Eve created yet? Wait a minute. What was Adam doing during this time prior to Eve's creation? He was learning life's responsibilities. In other words, in Adam's single college life, I mean, come on, he wasn't created a little boy, right? He was probably a young adult. Right? Maybe he looked like me. I don't know. I don't know. I really don't know. Right? I'm just making that up. But, you know, like, uh, 
the point I'm trying to make is this, though, that like he was created as a single being. And he lived a life prior to the time of Eve as a single person. And during his single life, he was learning life's responsibilities. Now, what kind of responsibilities did he have in his single life prior to the creation of Eve? By the way, that word keep in Hebrew, it's the same word that used in Proverbs, keep your heart. Right? Is there another word that's sometimes used? It's the same word that means guard. Now, let me ask you a question. Was there any freaky-looking Tyrannosaurus Rex trying to eat Adam at that time? So who was he? Who was he guarding the garden from? In other words, Adam was, there was an intimation that there was a threat to the garden. You need to guard this garden. Let me ask you a question. What did the garden represent to Adam? Home? What else? Gift from God? Who touched down in the garden? God would touch down to the garden, right? And God would walk in the garden with Adam. So what did the garden represent to Adam? It represented his sanctuary. It represented his relationship, the place where God would commune with him. So when Adam was told to tend the garden and to keep it, what was he ultimately supposed to be guarding? His relationship with who? In fact, what was put in the inside of the garden? The tree of what? Life and the tree of what? By the way, when you read in the book of Revelation about the tree, which tree is there and which tree is not there in the book of Revelation? The tree of life is present in the book of Revelation, but not the what? Why is that? Yeah, there's no more need for that test, right? So the only tree that's there is the tree of what? The tree of life, eternal life. Okay, very good. We got some of this stuff down. Let me ask you another question. What was another responsibility that Adam had in his single life? What? Naming the animals. That's very interesting, right? He was given work. Was Eve created yet? She wasn't created yet, right? So what was Adam learning in his single life? <laughs> Learn responsibilities, right? By the way, I, ha- I used to be a youth pastor, right? And uh, I, I, had, I had some youth kids in my youth group who were really spoiled. And I was like, it is my job as a youth pastor to help them unlearn this. And so what I did, I was trying to teach them lessons about life. And I never forgot, my, I was driving with my friend, my, my youth kids, and my car, just the tire went out. And I turned to him, I was like, uh-oh, the tire went flat. What are we going to do? And he's like, I don't know, call a tow truck? And I'm like, no, we need to change it. And I said, this is what I want you to do. Here are the keys. Open up the trunk. Pull out the tire. Pull out the jack. And I want you to change the tire. He's like, I've never done that. And I said, well, you're going to do it today. (laughs) And so he takes that. (laughs) I remember I stayed in the car, and I was, like, cracking up the whole time. Right? And I'm hearing him. I'm hearing him make these noise. He's like, ah, ah, and he's like trying to pull the tire. He gets the tire. He can't lift it. He's rolling the tire over. And uh, and all of a sudden, I mean, I'm hearing something underneath the car, and I'm like, oh, my goodness. He better have the jack on the right spot. Otherwise, he's going to be destroying, like, the exhaust or whatever. 
and I'm I'm just waiting a few minutes, and I'm hearing noises, and uh, all of a sudden the the car starts going up on its side. I'm like, oh, okay, it seems like it's working out. And then all of a sudden I start hearing, ow, ow, ouch, ugh, ow. And I'm like, I better come outside. <laughs> I open up the car, and, I, and I'm just there. I'm like, why are you making that noise? And he's like, I'm being bit by red ants right now. <laughs> Anyways, <laughs> the whole thing was just, it was a great time. <laughs> In fact, one day... We had a youth group meeting, and the light bulb in the porch went out, and I said to him, I was like, what are we going to do? He's like, call a mechanic. <laughs> I said, this is what I want you to do. Go get a chair, pull it out or a ladder. Here's the light bulb. Change the light bulb. <laughs> Anyways, I don't want to get into that story. But all I could say is that we have to learn life's responsibilities. Amen? In fact, Ellen White says something so powerful here that I think is really amazing. So today, while the humble worker for God is following his employment, angels of God stand by his side, listening to his words, noting the manner in which his work is done. Notice this. To see if larger responsibilities may be entrusted to his hands. By the way, the guy in the talent parable, the guy that made, had one talent, how many talents did he make at the end of the parable? Like negative 10 because he was thrown into the outer darkness, right? The guy that had two talents, how many more talents did he make in the end? Two more. The guy that had five talents, how many more talents did he make in the end? Wrong. He made six. You see, he was given more because he was faithful in that which was least. You see, you don't need to go somewhere else to be a missionary. Where you are at and what you are doing as part of your education, your church, your, your local church, and your local ministry, be faithful in those things and God will bless you. I'll tell you this. The number one factor I have seen which makes ministry successful and unsuccessful is this factor. Consistency. If you are consistent, God will bless you. It will build. Even if no one shows up for at least five or six Sabbaths or whatever, you know, you have it. Be consistent because in time, God will bless you. Amen. I had a young adult group. I had a couple of people and we're like, we need to start a ministry. We'll do a Friday night Bible study. We had a Friday night Bible study. Only two people showed up. My two friends who helped me. We're like, should we quit? We're like, no, we need to keep going. The next time we did it, next Friday night, we had the exact same meeting. One person showed up because the other one couldn't come. And I was like, maybe it's time for us to quit. But God says, no, keep going. Third Sabbath, we had two new people show up. Within one year, there was 40 people showing up every Friday night to my house. Let me tell you about my house. I, live, I lived in a shack at that time. It was like the size of that hallway right there. <laughs> 40 young adults came. We just had this, you know, informal meeting. We had a small group Bible study. Uh, it wasn't a really small group, I guess, but um, and it just grew, and it became powerful because we were consistent. Be consistent through the dark times and through the good times, and God will bless. Amen. Now let's get to the part we're going to get to. Is what happened next in Adam's single life, Genesis chapter two. 
Genesis chapter 2, and let's go to verse 18. Notice what the Bible says right here. And the Lord God said, it is not what? Good that man should be what? Alone. God repeated this right here, never alone, right? God says it's not good for man to be alone. Notice what happens next. I will make a what? Helper comparable to him. Out of the ground, the Lord God formed every beast of the field, every bird of the air, and brought them to Adam to see what he would call them. And whatever Adam called each living creature, that was his name. So Adam gave names to all the cattle, to the birds of the air, to every beast of the air, uh, field. But notice this. But for Adam, there was not found a helper comparable to him. The word found, is that past, future, or present tense? It's past. You're right. There was not found a helper comparable to him, right? In that context, it's past tense. So what was Adam doing? He was looking. And in the process of looking, did he succeed? Where was he looking? Among the gorillas. Like, right? <laughs> I don't even know what to say right now, okay? <laughs> but, <laughs> the, the, oh my goodness, right? I don't even know what to say right now. <laughs> but the point is this, is that Adam was looking in the wrong place, right? He, and, and, and what did God tell him specifically? I will make a what? Helper comparable to who? To him. In other words, somebody like him. You know what's interesting about that word helper? It can, uh, when you read it in the English translation, it just sounds like a butler, doesn't it? It sounds like, oh yeah, he, he made a, sometimes we say a help me, right? But today's modern English, that sometimes that word is, it doesn't have the best connotations, or perhaps it applies to something else. A helper, a servant, right? But did you know, in the Old Testament, this word appears 16 times? Do you know about 10 times this word appears as God's powerful deliverance? Do you know the other times it appears? Military intervention. So when God said he'll make a helper for Adam, you know, <laughs> all I'm simply saying is uh, we imagine like a, a butler or like a, a, a servant, you know. But what he was making for Adam was a powerful Help me to help him with the things that God had given to him. Are you living, Are you tracking with me? This was not to be somebody who was to be eclipsed by Adam. Rather, these two would grow together and fulfill the greater plans and purposes that God has for them, right? Now, here's the thing I want us to understand. Now, especially those that are in secular campuses, as Seventh-day Adventist young person, this is a real big problem in our church is that you will come to two conclusions, one of two conclusions. That is this. Number one, that you're just not finding anybody in the church. Or the second conclusion is, you will just be like, I've been hurt by somebody in the church. Which will then may lead you to the third option, which is, I'll go outside the church. But I want to share something with you that's found in the book Adventist Home and my experience as a pastor just observing this. said these words right here. If you want a home where the shadows are never lifted, marry an enemy of God. As a pastor, you want to know one of the, the most difficult things to observe in church is where wives come into the church worshiping God 
and wishing their husbands are right next to them. Husbands coming in, wishing their wives were next to them. I want you to understand something. Marriage isn't just about the temporal. It's about the rest of your life into eternity. And this decision you make has to be an important one. Do you know the very last words of Abraham, by the way? Do you know who Abraham was in Scripture? He's considered the father of faith, right? You would think, okay, whatever this guy says has to be important. Do you know what the very last words of the father of faith are in Scripture? The kind of woman Isaac should marry. That's the last recorded words we have of Abraham. Now, just think about that. I mean, that's a huge thing. And I think sometimes that's really neglected. So, what can we understand? I'm not here to give you a relationship seminar, okay? But I am here to share just a few things which are just, I think, are very crucial. That is this. If you're looking for the right kind of person, right? Take your right hand right now, okay? Looking for the right kind. I didn't say the right kind of, the right person. I said the right kind of person, okay? That is this. R, right? Remember this acronym. Religion. I, intelligence. G, goals. H, holiness. T, teachers. R, religion. What does that mean? You want to marry someone who's of the same faith as you are. And I don't mean they're just, oh, yeah, I'm a Christian. You want to marry someone who observes the scriptures, understands and believes the scriptures the same way you do. You hear this a million times, but let me tell you something. Make this just a stand in your life. You're like, look, I am, I'm not going to violate this. I am not going to violate this. I don't want to be unequally yoked. In fact, when I went to India, I actually saw this happen. You're like, you saw this happen? Yeah, I saw it happen. There was this guy that was just, he was driving this, these, like, it was a cow and a water buffalo. You guys know what a water buffalo is? And he had them on the same yoke. I'm like, oh, my goodness, I'm seeing scripture right now. And you know what happened? The cow stopped moving. And he kept whipping the cow. He kept whipping the cow. The cow started veering off. And the buffalo was trying to go forward, but the cow kept going off to the left and just kept whipping the cow, whipping the cow. He was there for five minutes. We were stuck in traffic. And I, I witnessed the whole thing, and it was like this guy could not force these two animals to go in the same direction. Like, it's really important. If you're a Seventh-day Adventist, you got to be like, man, I want to marry a Seventh-day Adventist. If you think those standards are strict, if you actually go to the Catholic Church, or you go to the Methodist church, you will find they have very same similar standards for their, they don't say you have to marry a seventh them, they'll say you have to marry a Methodist, or you have to marry a Catholic. There's many of these things that are stated in their, their books on doctrine and teaching. But overall, practically speaking, you want to marry somebody who will join with you in the worship of God. Amen? I, intelligence, why would intelligence be important? Like, what's wrong with me marrying a dumb person? <laughs> Nothing. <laughs> Nothing is wrong with you marrying a dumb person. You will find out why, though, all <laughs> right? What do I mean by that? What do you think I mean by that? Yeah, that's very really true, right? You, wanna, you want somebody. I don't mean they have to be the same exact educational qualification. You're not a PhD. No, but what I mean is intelligence is connected to communication, isn't it? Right? You know, you can only communicate for a certain period of time, and those feelings of love, they'll last a year before, like, you're just like, who did I marry, right? So that's very important. 
right? G, goals. Now, why is it that goals should be important in the person you, with the person you marry? They're heading in the right direction you are, right? Like, in fact, one of my good friends, he actually divorced from his wife. And uh, it was a really bad situation. He actually wanted to be a missionary. She didn't want to be a missionary. Like, was it that big of a deal? To them, they didn't establish this prior. And when they got married, these, these, they talked about it, and she didn't want to do it. He wanted to do it. And it just, it just became really bad. Obviously, there are other issues there. But the point is, if, if you're just like, look, I, I, I want, I want to, this is what I'm planning to do. And that person is like, no, this is what I want to do. You need to deal with those things. In fact, think about this. You know when you open a farmer, he opens up, like, um, the water, the, the big faucet that just releases water everywhere? There's something he has to do before he releases the water. He has to dig ditches. Because if he just releases the water, the water will spread out and be very ineffective, right, where it's supposed to go. But if he digs ditches, when he opens up that water, that water will go exactly where it needs to go. So you need to build ditches. Because when love is released, (laughs) right, you want to make sure it's going in the right places, right? Okay, good. We talked about religion, intelligence, goals, holiness, Wait a minute, didn't you say they had to be a Seventh-day Adventist? There's a big difference, isn't there? (laughs) Right? (laughs) What do you think I mean by holiness? They ought to have holiness in their life. In fact, I had a friend one day, uh, do you guys know, um, I forget his name, Art Branner. Anybody know Art Branner? Anyways, Pastor Art Branner. You know Art Branner? Yeah. He shares this story with students. He's like, look, here's the thing. He said, I knew this was the woman I was to marry. Well, how? He said, I followed her to Sabbath school one day. And I was thinking, stalker? (laughs) He's like, no, 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 this is what happened. He said, you know, I had noticed her, and uh, we talked, but I was just like, I was really praying, Lord, should I head in this direction? He said, I followed her to Sabbath school, and I sat right behind her, and I'm like, that sounds like a stalker, bro. (laughs) He's like, no, no, this is what happened. He said, I looked over her shoulder. (laughs) And I'm like, okay. And he said, I saw her Sabbath school quarterly. And I knew, praise the Lord. (laughs) Like, what? And this is what he said. He said, look, everything was marked up in the Sabbath school quarterly. He said there was like different color fluorescent markers that were being used. He said there was footnotes. There was just everything. He said this thing had been used and studied up. And he's like, this is a woman of God. He married her, right? (laughs) But it's important. And I like what my brother was saying right there. Someone who has a relationship with God. You know, we used to tell the youth when we do stuff like this, talk about this. We say, ask somebody if they've ever wrestled with God or sacrificed anything to God. Like, no, they haven't. Well, anyone who's a follower of Jesus understands that sanctification is an important part of the Christian walk's journey, the Christian's journey, right? We all have to wrestle with things. And someone who's never, I never really wrestled with God, I never really sacrificed anything to God. Maybe you need to do some reevaluation there. And do you know what the final letter is? T, teachers. Now, why is teachers important? Because it's very important to be able to have mentors in your life, godly mentors that you could talk to about relationships. Friends, if you can't talk to people older than you about your relationships, something's wrong there. There should be red flags raised. You know, I have friends, um, three of my friends. One of my friends is like this. 
This is one of my friends. Every time I ask him to do something, he never gives me an answer. He's like, he'll just affirm me. He'll be like, you know, that's a good question now. I'm like, give me an answer. And he's like, that's a good question right there too. And then I have another friend when I talk to, I'm like, hey, man, what do we do? Should we do it? He's like, let's do it. I'm like, let's climb Mount Everest. Let's do it. Let's go camp out, you know, there. Let's do it. Let's pretend we're homeless people underneath the bridge one day. Let's do it. He's that kind of person. It's like anytime I want to do something daring, I call him up because I know I'll get the same answer. But I have a mentor that when I talk to you about things like this, she is very honest with me, brutally honest, and I appreciate that. In fact, one day, I'm going to bear my soul here a little bit, I was interested in this person, and I was just like, hey, I, I was like, hey, can I talk to you about this? She's like, yeah, let's talk. And then she's like, give me her MySpace. Do you remember MySpace? <laughs> this is like a long time ago, right? You're like, that was a long time ago, right? She's like, give me her MySpace account. I was like, okay, here it is. And she's like, she calls me back in 10 minutes. She's like, Anel, let me tell you something. This girl wants to get married. She wants to get married tomorrow. I'm like, what are you talking about? She's like, trust me, I'm a female. I know these things. I'm like, come on. She's like, do you want to get married tomorrow? It's like, no. She's like, this girl wants to get married tomorrow. I'm like, there is no way you could tell me that. Anyways, it didn't work out between me and this person. And uh, within three months later, she was engaged to somebody else. And uh, within a month later, she was married. And, of course, that doesn't mean, is that a disqualifier? No, but you want somebody in your life who can point out things. It's important. You need to find people older than you who are willing to be honest with you. And that very godly intend who really love you. And you know how you know they love you? is they pray for you. And they're willing to make time for you. If you feel like you don't got a mentor in your life, I really want to challenge you to pray about it. And you will discover God already has a mentor for you. Now, let's get to one final part about this as we're coming to the last part of this. We could spend more time on this. All right? So let's go to the very last part. Let's go to the book of Genesis, chapter 2. Let's remain there. And let's go to verse 1. You're like, why are we going to verse 1? Genesis 1 is a good survey of creation. But Genesis 2, I think, is God's favorite part of creation. Mankind and the time he spends with mankind. Okay, let's see. Genesis chapter 2. Look at verse 1. Thus the heavens and the earth and all the hosts of them were finished. And on the seventh day God ended his work which he had done, and he had rested on the, the seventh day which from all his work which he had done. Then God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it, because in it he rested from all his work which God had created and made. Let me ask you a question. When did God bless and sanctify the Sabbath? On the Sabbath. God blessed it and sanctified it. And he rested on the seventh day from all the work which he had done. Then God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it. Because in it he had rested. Past, future, or present tense. So when did God sanctify and bless the Sabbath day? After he had kept it. You should be shocked, right? (laughs) What's my point? My point is this. Adam and Eve learned about the Sabbath first to experience rather than command. In other words, the way that God witnessed and shared with them about the beautiful Sabbath experience is that he kept the Sabbath with them. At the very end, he's like, by the way, this day is blessed. 
and sanctified by God. Do you know the first full day that Adam and Eve spent together was the Sabbath? In other words, the Sabbath ultimately at its core was about relationship. Our vertical relationship with God and our what? Horizontal relationship with others, right? I really believe that those who teach, preach, keep the seventh day as part of the Ten Commandments because they love Jesus and they believe in grace, that their witness of Sabbath keeping is such a powerful thing. Now, I know that there are many things that happen in the school life that will contend and compete for that time. But if you make a commitment to say, Lord, I want to keep holy the seventh day, I want to be faithful to this gift you have given to us. You will find special blessings that will come to you. You will find blessings that God will pour upon you. Remember what I said yesterday? When God rested on the seventh day, did creation collapse? Did the earth evaporate? Right? World waste away? It did not, right? Your world is not going to fall apart when you keep the Sabbath. If God can uphold the universe... While resting on the seventh day of the week, he's going to uphold your world as well. And when you make a commitment saying, Lord, I want to be faithful to your holy day, you will discover a special experience. You see, God wants to bless you. You know, this morning we're going to be passing out some decision cards because I believe this is a time also to make a decision. A decision for God and a decision to make a commitment to God. You know, we're coming down to the very end of time. And there are things that are happening in our world that are shifting, that are bringing God's people to the forefront. And God calls you to be a powerful witness. And as you are faithful to God, you will discover the other blessings that God will give to you. You might have struggled with keeping holy the seventh day of the week. You might have struggled with being faithful to God in other areas of your life. But I believe God... It's calling us to a renewed commitment to him, a renewed commitment to his ways. The Bible tells us about this beautiful thing that God has given to us, this day of rest. You know, because there's one thing that God could not do. The rest of the days of creation that he could do with Adam and Eve on the Sabbath, and that was to spend this special time with them face to face. The Bible tells us in Exodus chapter 33 that God himself was refreshed by the keeping of the Sabbath. And when you partake of this experience, you will be blessed as well. Make a decision, make a commitment that you want to say, Lord, I want to follow you. Amen. Let's bow our heads for a word of prayer. And Father, we just thank you. Thank you for just this tour through the book of Genesis. And Lord, we talked about a few different things, but God, we pray your word would not return void. And we want to make a commitment to be faithful to the things you've called us to be faithful to. Thank you, God, for hearing us and for loving us and calling us higher. In Jesus' name, amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. 
If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.